Happy Sunday, everybody. Welcome to this uh, episode of the Jersey Baseball Show. We've got a special guest in uh, Mercer County legend, um, Hamilton Township legend, former major leaguer, long list of accomplishments we'll get into later, Dave Gallagher. Welcome, Dave, to, uh, to the show. Thanks, Mike, but please drop the legend thing. <laughs> I could just hear people out there going, he's no legend. That's he was all right. <laughs> want, want Jimmy Mayer or somebody to question that, that legend right away. Yeah. Um, we'll start with some we'll start with some some current uh, breaking news on for for Dave to, to kind of get into and and you know share with us and explain to uh, to those of us listening um, your new role um, you know uh, with the the Gall the Sportica uh, Gallagher program that ended I guess earlier this year um, you've kind of found your next spot now and it's a, a position with uh, with Center Court um, you know one of their their facilities is a. Uh, Beautiful uh, new facility, uh, beautiful facility over in Lawrence. Um, tell us what you're doing now. Well, uh, after a lot of uh, conversations, uh, hours long, uh, I was named senior advisor for the Center Court baseball program. Center Court, which I'm still learning a lot about. I, I did my due diligence, uh, spoken to a lot of people, but um, from what I know of them right now, there's eight locations. Uh, mm -hmm. all within New Jersey, uh, several are North Jersey, five of those locations um, have baseball and they're continuing to build the baseball programs and, and they want to have baseball as part of uh, the athletic development and training that they do. Uh, there were several things that was appealing to me, uh, but what jumped out at me is the staffing, like who the staff are. I know a lot of them personally, um, they're very professional people. And, and that sounds like it's supposed to be that no matter where you go, but it hasn't been. Um, and I really was looking for a healthy environment to be a part of healthy from every standpoint, from ownership through management to coaches, to the kids and the families, just an atmosphere where a kid can develop um, and that you wouldn't mind going into work and conversing about the game that I love. And uh, unfortunately, like I, I don't, I'll condense this a little bit, but um, you know, when I was a younger guy, five kids, now three grandkids, that's how old I am. But when I, you know, when I was a younger guy, I did what probably most men and, and a lot of working women do. I chased money to raise my family. I, I got to make every dime and save every dime that I can. Um, so that my kids can go to college, my kids will have a car, I can leave money after I pass away. And then I got to a certain age and that changed and it became about legacy. Like what exactly am I leaving behind in this game? Did I have any impact? And I hate to say it, but if I was to die tomorrow, I would feel like, wow, like this is not good enough. I, but I've been in uh, youth baseball for well over 20 years now. And I've seen a lot. Thankfully, there's a lot of good. And I've been a part of a lot of good and been able to help a lot of kids and a lot of families. I think that's what kind of keeps my heart beating in this industry. But I've also seen a lot of bad, um, you know, a lot of unfulfilled promises, uh, a lot of like dangling bait, um, you know, just to get people to write a check and lying, flat out lying. So I had no, no will or intention to get involved in anything like that. And when I started talking to um, all of management and staffing at center court, I started hearing different things. You know, I, I, I've looked into the ownership and their holdings are sports related, a lot of them. Um, and they're really big on youth development. So, you know, I, I feel that there's not the stress and pressure that every other facility I've been at um, on having to hit a certain number to get by. The, the, the lack of stress in, in some parts is due to having other sports in the building. Mm -hmm. So um, the people that matter are big believers in multiple sports for kids. I've always been a believer in that. Uh, relationships with the community leagues, the Little Leagues, the Babe Ruth, the Legion. That's not the easiest thing to do. But it's, I don't think anything that's worth doing is easy. I really don't. Negotiating and talking and, and being honest with each other and trying to figure out, look, let's not bury each other. How can we work together? Um, 
because I think the kids have to be taken out of the equation. A kid should wake up in the morning and do what he wants to do. He shouldn't worry about, I feel sick to my stomach because I have a game for my rec league and I have practice for travel and somebody's going to get mad at me. So I'll just lie. And I've had kids whose grandfathers died four times. Like just, that's a sad thing to say, but you have a kid that is lying about the health of his grandfather to so get out of play. To get out of like getting somebody mad. That to yeah. me is up to us as the adults have to figure out a way uh, to help these families navigate and let a kid do what he wants to do. Um, if he's a multi-sport player, then we have to figure out a way to make it work to the best for him, right? Um, and there are ways to do it. But I know I made this short answer long, but, um, <laughs> but there's a lot of reasons why I wanted to join Center Court and they're the most important. I felt like I can help. I know I can help. I've been, I've got a ton of experience um, in youth baseball, in this industry, let's call it what it is. It is an industry. And, um, you know, as, as a consultant in any industry, it's not always what you did well that helps people. A lot of times it helps even more to say, you know what, I tried this, I tried this, I tried this, and they don't work. Let's try something different. So, so it's crazy for, for a, a mortal person like myself to hear you say that, you know, you think your, your legacy isn't set or, or good enough yet, because I think back to probably the first time that I interviewed you was, was back while you were still playing, you know, mid nineties. And, and since then, I think it's a, you know, high school coach, um, college coach taking, uh, you know, your, your, you know, Mercer to the, to the D2 and uh, Juco world series. Um, Trenton Thunder coach, you know, a professional um, inventor with the stride tutor, um, you know, probably one of the pioneers of, of travel baseball, even if you think back to the old uh, Frogbridge days, um, which essentially was kind of the, uh, you know, you know, v version 1.0 of what we see today. Um, yeah. You know, time with, uh, with, with, you know, MLB mentoring younger people, um, you know, what you've done with uh, starting the Gallagher program. So, I mean, to someone like me, that seems like, you know, what more is there? I mean, you, you spent, you know, 20 plus years since basically since, you know, your retirement after an 18 year pro career given back to, to younger people. But, but what is it that, that really keeps you going and wanting more? Is it that, you know, setting that example, giving back, you know, realizing how many people gave to you? on your way up? I mean, what, what sort of things kind of keep you going mentally? Well, you just nailed a lot of it, to be honest with you. And some of it really is that I was kind of raised in the game um, professionally, but hell, I, I should go back to Little League. Mm -hmm. um, when I was 19 years old and I signed my first professional contract, I went away to rookie ball in the New York Penn League. And you got a lot of quiet moments. I'm not with my family. In fact, it was the first time out of state. I was out just state, out, right? I was upstate New York. Um, but, you know, when you're playing every day, there, there's a lot of downtime, a lot of free time, but there's also a lot of times that you're down and you start questioning, like, can I make this? Like, these pitchers are really good. I'm failing miserably. Um, I'm used to hitting 380 and I'm hitting 240. Are they going to cut me tomorrow? What will I say? My whole identity to this point in my life has been, I'm a good baseball player. What will I say if I go home and I'm just now thrown into the mix? I don't have an identity. Like a lot goes through your mind. And what became clear to me was how important um, Jack Sable, who was my little league manager on Mercerville shell, how important he was. Now he would probably tell you that he wasn't a, an advanced baseball guy. He was a guy that worked hard, lived in Hamilton Square like I did, blue collar, you know, one week vacation a year, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. um, hope it doesn't rain, you know, because that's all we got. <laughs> that's all we get, and, right? And this man would pick me up at my house and take me to practice. Sometimes pick me up at my house and take me to games. My father was fixing televisions back when that was, uh, you know, the deal. There wasn't like we have today. Um, in the evenings he was doing that and working all day mm -hmm. and then I would find a ride home somehow somebody on the team would give me a ride home and it hit me sitting in my room um, in the in uh, Batavia New York just how important 
all of these rec coaches that were in my life. They didn't teach me the most advanced things in baseball, but, but they brought me to practice and dropped me off at my house. And I learned and I played with my friends, you know, and, and I got better. Um, so that's how I was raised in the game. And then professionally, I know the sacrifices that a lot of men on a, on a major league level have made. Because even though I was never a player rep living in New Jersey, I went through two work stoppages, one strike and one lockout. And because I live in New Jersey, I would drive to New York mm -hmm. to the Players Association. And I got involved. This was my job. I never understood players who didn't want to know what was going on. I want to know. And I want to have an opinion. I don't have to agree with everything that's going on. So I will have an opinion. And, um, and I just watched what was done and the sacrifices that were made. And I realized this is not just about me. The decision that I make and the stand that I make is for players who aren't even born yet. Somewhere down the road, when I'm long gone, there will be somebody playing Major League Baseball. And the fact that the Atlanta Braves were willing to sign me to a contract that paid me a hefty amount of money to be an extra outfielder, that was due to what players had done before me and sacrifices that they had made to obtain free agency. So Again, another long answer. You see, I like to talk. That's, that's um, all right. But, but to me, that's why I, what a waste it would be. I love sitting at the beach. I love my three-mile walk on the promenade in Cape May every morning and then diving into the water and dolphins going by. Like, it's the most beautiful thing and relaxing thing. But what a waste it would be if I just would sit home with all this information that's been given to me in my lifetime. Because I did listen. I retain, I think that's the definition of passion. When you like something, when you like something, it's enjoyable, but you don't tend to retain the information or put the effort in to get better. But when you love something, and I've always loved this game, you hear everything, you hear what others don't hear and you retain what others don't bother to retain. I've done that in this game, it's in my head. I can't use it anymore because I don't have the body. I don't have the athleticism that I had 30, 40 years ago. Um, but I can give that information that's extremely valuable to kids who are as passionate as I once was toward this game. And I cannot sit home and just hold that in my head. That's what this new job, this new title allows me to do as a senior advisor. See, I see coaches, a lot of them as kids now. They're a lot younger than me. I want to give them the, that information right. too. You're not, just, you're not just, just coaching a, the players now. You're, exactly. coaching, you're coaching a generation of coaches. Yeah. One of my favorite things to do in, in, in the, over the years has been what I used to call uh, organizational workouts, where I would have like four teams come mm -hmm. You know, to whatever field we're at, whether it was Mercer County College or Mercer County Park, wherever we were at at the time, on a gorgeous Saturday, get there eight o'clock in the morning, two coaches per team. So you might have six or eight coaches that are there. We gather around the mound, everybody with the players and talk about, let's say, first and third defense and all the nuances. And I like to say, look, here's we're going to give you three options here, you know, play, play one, play two, play three. But coaches we've all come from different areas let me hear any nuances that you guys and i'll throw it to the players i want the players to speak up you know you may have learned something different in your high school explain what it was and why you think they did it that way now we're having a conversation about the game and um, it gives me an opportunity to talk about what i've learned and i'm talking to the kids but the coaches are hearing it too that's my way of like not talking down to anybody, but just sharing the information that's been given to me. And then I want the coaches to have their own, their own method. Um, you know, because if, if they're being told everything to, you know, here's the way I want it to be done. I've been told by some of my own guys over the years, they, you should have the Gallagher way. I don't believe in the Gallagher way. I would go out early for batting practice in the big leagues and watch other guys hit from other teams and say to myself, man, Alan Trammell, I love his swing. It almost looks like he's so fast from where his set position is with his hands to contact. 
And then it almost looks like it slows down to follow through. I can't figure out why, but he's smoking balls over the left center field fence and he's hitting for average. And I'm like, man, I love to have his swing. And mine always felt like it was difficult. Um, and I'm not putting myself down. I'm just saying like, that's what led me to believe there are so many different ways to do things and to have success. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been, I've always been a big believer in there is not one way to hit, but if you take a guy with passion, baseball player, a hitter who loves the game, teach him all the things that pitchers do to get him out and then give him some space and let him work, let him hit off the tee, but tell him, you know, if a, pitcher needs a ground ball a guy just got the two seamer watch him warm up does he have sink on his fastball does he run it in is it heavy is it boring in on your hands is his sister pitch a slider I mean if he's a sinker slider that's tough now your at bat just got more difficult um does is he a power guy as far as does he have carry on his fastball but when, when a hitter starts to learn all the different ways that a pitcher can get him out he'll work differently when he's alone you know, when he's in his garage hitting off a tee, um, his batting practice will be different because he's afraid of the constant failure that'll knock him right out of the game. Um, but that was always important to me. I have to know, just give me the information of how they're trying to get me out and I'll outwork everybody and I'll do it every day. You know, so there's, there's, there's two things or a couple things that you kind of touched on there that I thought would be good springboards for, for what baseball, you know, all this knowledge and this accumulation through the years. And, you know, the first is just, you know, the ability to kind of, you know, people say grind, like it's like what you're doing is torture and it's, and it's not, it's, it's the pleasure of play, but, but to work is probably the better way to say it and, the, and persevere. I mean, you know, just yourself, right. A, a, you know, you were a two-time first-round pick, and 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 one of them was in the January draft, which doesn't even exist anymore. Um, but eight years in the minors before got your your before being called up, and and then a long career after that. I mean, obviously, so many times along the way, and I guess you've even told a story where you were, you know, between high school and and Mercer, you were out of baseball. You were you were done, right? You were, uh, you know, we'll talk about Mercer Legends. You were working at Cedar Gardens, right? I worked at a lot of different places and I, um, this is Jimmy Mayer's favorite story. Uh, but I had decided a very stupid mistake on my part. Um, I was not in a good place. I just was not in a good place when, you know, from 15 to about 17, 18, I was in a really, I, I had friends, but I was in a dark spot. I'd lost my father tragically mm-hmm. at 15 years old. And it was devastating because it was, shocking like it was not yeah. something that I knew I, I I wasn't prepared I didn't even know how to mourn I didn't cry a tear and they walked him out in front of me on a gurney with the blanket over his head I'll never forget that and I thought that was a mistake by the police like don't leave a 15 year old kid there to see that but um it was devastating to me and I feel like it changed it's going to change anybody's life but it changed my life and I you never know how you're going to react or what uh, a young kid is going to do. So, uh, you know, I don't know how many people will listen to this, but I would encourage adults to be a little patient mm-hmm. with kids. Like don't write them off. Um, somebody encourages you as a coach, Hey, don't take him. He's trouble. Take the other route, take him and surround him with the, with people who have good intentions, including yourself as a coach, maybe the, the players around him, and you might change his life. My, yeah. life. my life was changed. I had good people around me. I had the Freemans, that family for Legion, and I had Richie Giolella uh, for high school. And I was heading in a direction that looked like it was a lot of fun. You know, hanging at the shore. Here I am hanging at the shore yeah. now. <laughs> Some things haven't changed. But, but back then it was kind of like, I'm going to go to the shore. I don't want to, yeah. you know, I don't want to play summer ball. And, and uh, you know, I want to hang out with the girls, and which is never a bad thing. Um, but I think um, baseball, Richie was the one that talked me into playing Legion. And what ended up happening is I got discipline. I had structure and discipline in my life where it was a major void when that, when I went through all of that. Sure. Um, 
and so I had plan. I was working at actually working at Shoprite, and okay. uh, yeah, I was a pro. I was in produce. I'm smiling because a couple of guys I worked with, baseball players. This is bad to admit to. You know, it's just bad on every level. But I used to go in the what's called the drop box where they would deliver all of the vegetables and the fruits. And I'd take my cart that we'd load uh, all the shelves up and I'd hang back there and wait um, for a, a baseball teammate at Steiner. He worked there with me. I wait for him to come back and I would hide and I'd have the box off of like plums and a box off of peaches. And I'd be hiding behind like a stack of vegetables. When he came in and started loading his cart, I just started firing away and I knew I had a better arm more accurate and I would just we'd go for 15 minutes just throwing fruits and vegetables at each other and then one of us would say we have to check the scale <laughs> like people would people would come to weigh their stuff and get a price on it and we would go out and there would be like 23 people in a line we're all sweaty <laughs> um, but that is what I thought like oh, hey I'm making my own car payments uh, you know mm -hmm, sure. this is this is going to be my life some freedom, a little independence. And... Oh, man. What, what changed me was um, the run that we made for Steiner to that state championship when we yeah, played yeah, Rancocas right. Valley. We mm -hmm. played Rancocas Valley at Ryder. And uh, Franco Harris's brother, Giuseppe. Wow. I remember like, oh, that's Franco Harris's brother. And he was huge. You know, like five-star recruit. He could play football. I think he ended up playing football. Drafted in baseball, everything. Mm -hmm. um, he hit a ball so far over my head. And I guess people from Rancocas thought it went out. Ryder at the time only had a left field fence and then it just became nothing. So this ball probably went 450 feet, but the way the fence went and the ground rules was if you played anything to hit the fence. If it went past the fence, I think they called it a double. This bounced on any other field, it would have been a home run, but it bounced before the fence and then over the fence into the parking lot. It was ruled a double. They ended up with second and third. We won that game two to one. And they're celebrating on the bus after. And I remember looking out the window at the field and thinking, I got to keep playing. Like, even if we win the state championship, that's my last game. Right. And um, yeah, I ended up a uh, late decision is actually my girlfriend's father, who's now my father-in-law. He was the one that talked me into going to Mercer. Uh, but that changed my life. So again, I want to bring it back to encouraging yep. coaches. When, when somebody tells you that kid's trouble, don't take him. He's good, but you know, he's going to, you know, please, I, I, you might change a life, which is a lot more important than, uh, you know, winning a, winning a 15 year title. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The other, the other thing that, that kind of struck me is, you know, a, 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 that how the game can really help you, teach you, force you to deal with, with dealing with, with failure and, and using that as, you know, I guess the old saying of failing forward into some sort of success later, but, but just, you know, how you deal with that through your, your career. Yeah, I, I, um. I'm going to pat myself on the back for that one. Like you won't, you get to know me, you'll see, I don't have much of an ego. I am always more comfortable with people, just blue collar people who um, just like to hang out. I, I don't ever want to be that guy. I'm glad I didn't make so much money that I had to live a certain way. And, and uh, I just don't want to do that. Never did want to do that. I know where I fit because I was on the field with some of the best talent, this world has ever known it really like a lot of hall of famers when i look back um and i know like yeah i was in the major leagues i'm proud but from top to bottom i'd i'd be stretching it if i said i was an average player maybe i'm maybe i'm putting myself down a little too yeah much. a little bit a little bit <laughs> but, but if i was average i'll take it um, yeah that for sure but i will say this i was above average in work ethic and mm -hmm. I didn't mind it. I, I always am very proud that my answer to failure was always work early, go to work early. And here's the thing. I'll, I'll give you an example, true example, living in Millstone, playing for the Mets. I was commuting. That's a tough commute because Jeez. seven, seven o'clock game. I was leaving at 1231 o'clock. Yeah. You, you could never be sure if you ran into traffic. I was going to say, you know? still maybe. Yeah. You're still pushing it. So if everything was smooth, I it would take me hour 50, which is fine. I'll take it. 
And then I would get in there and I'd be really early. But if somebody had a hubcap fall off, it would just clog up everything. Um, and I'd still get there well in advance. So I had to leave early. I would, um, let's just say I left for a seven o'clock game at 1230 in the afternoon, get to the ballpark, might go into the weight room for a little bit, out on the field for early hitting, shorts on, shirt, get done, you're all sweaty, you come in, you put dry clothes on, then you go out for your regular batting practice with the team and you do your hitting and you come in and you're sweaty and you put on dry clothes again. And then you go out, you take infield outfield, which they neglect. They don't even take it anymore. That's, that doesn't, that's yeah. Yeah. Just, so we would do that. You didn't age yourself before you age yourself by that. I know. I, know. I, don't, I don't understand that. Like I understand taking it off once in a while, but to not take right. it at all, I think it can cost you defensively. Then I would come in and say, I would do the, what we would call flips, right? You go down with a hitting coach, he'd be in the cage and, and you do either front soft toss or side soft toss until I felt like, okay, that's the swing I want for the game. And now I look at the starting lineup and I'm not in it, which is okay. That's the point of career I was at. I was a starter for, mm -hmm. you know, several years. So I got to stay mentally ready. Every other inning, I'm going up into the clubhouse, getting my bat out of my locker, swinging, stretching. I used to go in full uniform into the sauna to get my muscles just hot and sweaty. Uh, so I wasn't like stiff. And then, uh, okay, they, our pitcher's in trouble. Might need a pinch hitter. I better go down there. Somebody else pinch hit. I wait. Oh, they got a lefty up in the bullpen. Borsalak's about to come up next inning let me go get stretched again i would do it and then finally pinch hit in the ninth inning first pitch i'm looking first pitch fastball you know why wouldn't they come right after dave gallagher i'm not a power hitter i'm looking and i'm not going to foul this off i do everything put my swing together my head is down i'm thinking middle of the field hit the bottom of the ball i popped it up and i run it out and i get done and i can't stand myself game is over and i got this two-hour drive home and I am just beating myself up, you know, like you don't even deserve a uniform. You're terrible. And I'm not going early tomorrow. You know, it's not worth, that's what I'm saying to myself. Right. And then I go sleep and I wake up in the morning and I think I got to go early. I got to hit. <laughs> so I would do it again and just keep doing it. And um, the bottom line is work ethic does not guarantee you a thing. It doesn't guarantee you success like short term. But I think, yeah, maybe I said that wrong. I guess it guarantees that you will give you your best shot. Yeah. You will empty your pockets and have your best shot, but it won't guarantee that you're going to get a hit or you're going to have success that day. And right. when it was all said and done, I carved out a nine-year career. And Mike, I'll say this, it's another category I'm proud of. There are three programs that are run right now that are cooperative efforts between Major League Baseball and Major League Baseball's Players Association. There's three. The Rookie Career Program is one. And I've been doing that for 27 years. Mm -hmm. um, the Hank Aaron Invitational. I think that's the – no, it's not. My hat is over there. Um, <clears throat> that used to be called the Elite Development Invitational. Mm -hmm. uh, I've been doing that for seven years. That's another one. And then this third one is uh, – it's called Healthy Re Relationships, and it's really kind of – um, the fight against domestic violence. And um, I've now done that for three years and I'm not a professional counselor uh, by any means, but they asked me to come in and, and basically uh, meet with every major league player, one team at a time, gather them in the morning and introduce them to the staff of professional counselors. And I've kind of just taken a different angle. I, I, they, those guys don't want to be in a meeting at eight o'clock in the morning in spring training. The veterans just want to get ready for the season and the rookies are nervous. They want to make a team. They can't sit still. And I would just try to get them and say, you know, look, this may not be um, interesting to you because maybe you haven't witnessed any domestic violence, but I think all of you would agree. I played this game for a long time and there's so much failing regardless of your personality and how you deal with failure um, I out of experience I can tell you you will be your most vulnerable when your confidence is shot and when you're failing miserably and every year you play this game you will be in that spot 
mm-hmm. you will be there. And that's when you might have the tendency to do something that's dumb. Um, and they listen because I played. And that's yeah. really my goal is just just listen. And in the next hour, you might hear some things that give you the tools to deal with something that will help you or someone in your family. Um, but that's the three programs. And I'm not in a Hall of Fame. You know, to think that they invite, they picked up the phone and called me to be a part of these three. I got to ask Tony Clark. I said, Tony, why am I getting invited to do this? And he said to me, Gally, you being serious? And I said, yeah, I'm being serious. And he said, because of the way you handled yourself as a player and post-career, that's why you get these calls. And that I'm proud of that. Yeah. You know? That I feel like is something to hang my hat on, you know. For sure. Maybe I'd feel better if it was 500 home runs or something yeah. like that. But, you were um, close, but, close. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but before we before we self-deprecate too much, yeah, um, you know, did get when you did get called up uh, with Cleveland, right? But but it was really yes. Chicago where you, your your career kind of blossomed and 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 bloomed. And we're talking, you know, for those who don't know, 1988 fifth American League Rookie of the Year, right? Yes. 300 average, your first full year up in the bigs. Right. Um, you know, played with both the Phillies and the Mets, kind of puts you in rare, rare company to, to, to be booed by both uh, franchises yeah. known for booing. But, but you know, to, to start out, and, and it made me think of the White Sox days um, with them just clinching a playoff spot the other day and, and Tony La Russa being the manager again. Um, your your first your your stint up there. What do you remember about playing in Chicago? Um, pretty cool yeah. time, right? Finishing out old Comiskey too. It really was. Um, but I think again, I hope that that there will be a lot of kids who can tune in and hear this, and even coaches. Go um, back to that word empathy. Um, so very valuable information right here. I think anyway, because I believe every every athlete that plays to a high level, um, not even a high level, but you know, maybe any athlete period will go through what I went through from the time I was seven years old. I told people that I am going to be a major league baseball player. And I didn't say I wanted to be, I said, I'm going to be, I didn't know that that was probably a stupid comment and how hard (laughs) that really is. Um, But it was what I said I was going to do. And then all of a sudden it happened. And um, Brett Butler, if you remember him, he got hit by a pitch broke his hand broke and his I was thumb, playing. Right? Yeah. And I was playing center in triple a and they called me up and I remember feeling overwhelmed with emotions, like excited, nervous, scared. Um, I don't know if I'm good enough because I don't know this level. I, okay. I mean, this is what I've wanted my whole life. Here it is. And uh, I played not to fail. I remember saying to myself, you know, even if you just hit a ground ball to the shortstop, I see it happen all the time. I just don't want to look really, really bad. That was my mentality. And, um, and I looked really, really bad before I knew it. I was four for my first 36 and I was sent out. Back in triple a, yeah. Back to triple a and then traded. And, um, and it was a year later, I was still the same person, but I got the call up in Chicago and I remember the plane flight in saying to myself, promising myself, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do this or not, but I'm getting after it. If I showed you the swings in my first at bat in Chicago, as compared to the swings I took in Cleveland, um, they're just totally different. They're like getting after it. Yeah. You know, and nobody gave me that advice. Nobody said, Hey, you're holding your hands too low. It wasn't mechanical. It was, Mental it was approach. all in my head. Um, and I don't like, I forgave myself for that. Like, I think that happens all the time. Um, I was watching uh, Rory McElroy uh, at the Ryder Cup over the weekend. I'm like, my God, he looks like he never played before. You know, thankfully, he had a, a final round where he, he won that point. But it happens to the best in all sports where, you know, your, your mind is somewhere else. You failed and you lost confidence. Um, but then it can change. And you're right. I, I go up the next year before you know it, I'm the starting center fielder. And, and then I was nine straight years um, mm-hmm. and I hit over 300 and it took, uh, it took a base hit on the last day of the season for me to do that. 
And that, what a great feeling. Can you imagine being from Hamilton Square? And um, it was in Kansas City and I hit a base hit to like right field or right center. I rounded first and coming back, I was like so giddy that I stepped on George Brett's foot and uh, <laughs> with metal cleats and he goes, ow, and he like pushed me. And um, I, oh, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And he said, then he congratulated me. So how cool is that? Yeah. You know? First yeah, person to congratulate you hitting 300 yeah. to rookie George Brett. Yeah, he said, good job, kid. Um, those those moments I cherish, like Don Mattingly, how cool is I wish people, everybody got to meet Don Mattingly. Uh, I, I know he's not in the Hall of Fame. His back probably cut that short. I was just talking he's a, he's about. Like, it's like the Chase Utley of his time, right? He, he was a Hall of Fame player, but not quite long enough. Yeah, and I saw him. I used to go in the Yankee Stadium and the visitors um, – weight room and hit the speed bag i just always enjoyed hitting the speed bag so they had one there and i'd go over there early and i'd just be whacking that thing and i look and he's stretching again like for a seven o'clock game and he's in there one o'clock two o'clock stretching out his lower back but talk about passion i mean he yeah. just loved playing the game of baseball and i had a four hit game in yankee stadium and after my fourth hit I was man on second, nobody out. And I'm thinking, I got to get him over. So I, I'm i thinking right side, right side. I don't know if anybody does that anymore either. But yeah. I no. hit a nice line drive over the second baseman's head. And I round first and I come back and he says, we can't get you out. And I'm looking at him like, you're Don Maddie. You just said that to me? Yeah. Do I have to explain who you are? I'm Dave Gallagher. It's a plain name for a plain player, you know, the, but those like, I, 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 now I think I enjoy that more than I did then. I wasn't really taking it in then. Yeah. I was just too focused on staying perspective. And, yeah. And now I think, man, there's some cool moments that I got to be a part of that. I kind of wish everybody could share in them, you know, favorite, favorite manager you played for and, and favorite stadium you played in. Oh, uh, boy. Yankee Stadium was cool towards the end of my career. I'll start with that one. Mm -hmm. uh, because the first time I went to Yankee Stadium is when I was with Cleveland and playing nervous and scared and not to fail. I didn't want anybody that I knew to be anywhere to, be to see me. Yeah. Um, because failing in front of people that you don't know is bad, but failing in front of people that you're going to go home and see. Yeah, whose opinion uh, matters, worse. right? Yeah. And once I had some success and then I was, I learned how to, you know, make it just part of a normal day and relax and enjoy it. Um, I loved it because there would be bus rides sometimes to go see me uh, from, you know, from back home. Right. And uh, I can still remember a game where the, the whole busload of people were down the left field line and I was playing center at Yankee stadium. And you know how you, the outfielders throw the ball around uh, before every inning gets started and then you toss the ball in. Um, I would get the ball in center and I would face them from center field and hold the ball up in the air, like, get ready. I'm going to fire this into the stands. Mm -hmm. And that whole section would stand up and yell and they were smoked, you know, with beer probably before the game even started. Yeah. And I would take a crow hop and throw it into the middle of that crowd every <laughs> inning. And they were loving it. You know, they were absolutely loving it. Um, Here's a great one. This is just a weird one, but for the people who, who would be listening to this, you remember the Fink family from soccer. Yeah. All right. Tommy and Joey yep. and Jimmy and Harold. Well, I, I went to school in the same grade with Tommy. Um, his older brother, Jimmy, just by coincidence, had a business trip in Texas. And uh, he came down and saw me right before the game. And I recognized him. And he had a couple of business associates with him. And uh, he, he showed me where he was sitting. I was playing right field that day. First at bat, I hit a home run. And um, once he saw that I was playing in right field, he went around to right field. There wasn't many people out there. So he had, you know, see, he could talk to me every inning. And right. I'm throwing him a baseball. And next at bat, I got a single. Then I think I made an out. And then my fourth at bat, I hit another home run. And it was the first time and only time I had hit two homers two in a major game. league game. I don't know if I hit two homers in any game in my life until that day. And uh, I come out, I gave him a bat, like handed it over. He was looking at me like I was God. 
And I thought, how cool would it be to be him to say on this one day, yeah, yeah I, this guy, I know him really well. He's from my hometown. He went to school with my brother, played soccer with my brother. And then I hit two home runs. Like, <laughs> that's pretty cool. I think that'd be pretty good, right? Yeah. Um, much coincidence because I never hit two home runs again. Oh, and they, actually, that part of the story doesn't have to be told. <laughs> I had a fifth at bat and I had a chance. And I knew, like, gut feeling this is going to be the only time I ever have a chance. Were you, to hit were you, swing, home you were swinging for it? Three and one count against a guy named Dale Mahorsik. Yeah. And oh, I just said to myself, he ran the ball in heavy, but it ran in hard. He was a right handed pitcher. And I said, I am not getting beat here. You know, I'm, I'm getting the barrel out. And I did. And I got out and I fouled it off. And like, but I was out there full extension and fouled it off. And then he walked me. He came in even tighter off the plate on the next pitch. And I thought, well, there goes that. And I was right. I never had another chance to hit. <laughs> so good about, moment, though. How about manager story? Manager, I always wanted to play and never got the chance to play for Jim Leland. Um, I was very good friends. I became very good friends with Jeff Torborg. Um, was, he, was he the manager when you got called up, or because I, I, I know he he was at, at some point in the in the White Sox career, right? Yeah, he he was. Uh, no, he was not the manager when I got called up by the White Sox. That was Jim Fergosi. Oh, and then okay. Jim got fired, and um, uh, Jeff was the next year. That's he. Okay. But how about this though? Another good manager story. And this, I'm going to say, this goes to, again, the kids that are listening out there, you know, work hard. Um, you know, everybody says the right thing. Coaches will tell you. You never know who's watching. And it's true. But um, in nine years, I ended up playing for Jim Fergosi twice, years apart. Yeah. Plays, uh, White right. Sox, I want to say it was 91, maybe. Nine, no, 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 no. It would have been 88. I'm sorry. Yeah. 88. Uh, for him and then the Phillies in my yeah, final yeah. year in 95 um, I played for Jeff Torborg in 89 and then on the Mets in either 92 or 93 Mets. yeah and then I played for Marcel Latchman as a pitching coach for the Angels and then go back at the end of 95 to the Angels when he was the manager so it made me feel good that these men who had me on their team wanted you back wanted me back and, and for, you know, to fill some kind of a need. Yeah. But Cause that, at, at that point in your career, they're going to go with the, the veterans that they trust. Uh, Jim Fregosi made me feel great that when I went to the Phillies, that was out of a work stoppage of 94 when there was a strike, I want to say, no, right. it was the lockout, the lockout in 94 into the beginning of 95, 95. I have no team. I'm a free agent. So the players association set up a, um, a spring training site for all unsigned free agents. It was in Homestead, Florida. They brought in some people from Nike to stretch us out. And they had major league coaches to come throw BP to us and hit us ground balls and fly balls. It was strange. Like I'm out in the outfield and I'm outfielders would come walking up to you and say, Hey, you getting any interest from anybody? I didn't want to tell another outfielder because I'm thinking he's going to go tell his agent to call that team. Yeah. So it was kind of like, very secretive. And I, I think I brought a couple thousand dollars. I didn't know how long I was going to be there. Um, day three, somebody came out of the, uh, the dugout and I heard Gallagher. And I looked over like mad sprint and like, I can't wait to get in there. At least, you know, cause I did not want to rot there. I don't even know long, how long they did it, but that call was from Lee Thomas who was sure. the GM at the, of the Phillies. Yep. And um, we made a deal on the phone and I told him, it's a pretty cool story, like behind the scenes. Um, I said to him, Lee, man to man, I'm telling you right now, you have a deal. I'm good with that figure that he gave me for my salary, but I don't want either one of us to look back at this two or three months from now and feel like they got over on the other person. I know what kind of effort I'm gonna give you. Um, so again, I'll tell you, you have a deal, but if there's any more room in that figure, I'd appreciate it. And because I think because I didn't say my agent's going to call you, I just did it myself. Right. He said, 
are you going to be there in 10 minutes? And I said, I have nowhere to go. I'll be right here. And he goes, I stay there. It took five minutes. He called back and he goes, all right. And he upped it, I don't know, 50 grand or something like that. But hell, that's two cars for my kids. <laughs> right. So, but the fact that he upped the number um, just simply because of, I think it was because of the way I did it. And then yeah. I jumped in my car and went across the state. And that was Jim Fergosi. I'm thinking I got to go make this team. The first day I got there, he says, David, come here, sit down. I sat next to him and he goes, you know about uh, Izzy. He was talking about Jim Eisenreich. He said he has Tourette's. He's on medication. Um, he doesn't bounce back too good with day games after night games. And um, so I, I think your role is you probably already know you'll face all lefties and you'll play all day games after night games. And, you know, anybody gets hurt, that kind of thing. And I said, yeah, that's kind of what I thought you had in mind. I had no idea. <laughs> I, I thought I was going in there to make the team. Um, but that's pretty neat that he trusted me based on what he saw and had from me before. From seven years and, before. Um, oh, and I loved that. I loved being in Philly. That was a much easier commute than New York. Oh, yeah. I really did. I enjoyed it. That team was a cast of characters. Yeah. Um, really was. Still the hangovers from the 93. Hangovers might be the wrong word to use with that team, but. Yeah. The, uh, the the hangovers from the 93 team. It, it's right. Yes. Um, but you had Dykstra, you had Dalton, you had Hollins. Um, so you didn't have Kruk and Mitch Williams was gone. But Darren Dalton was one of my favorites um, of, of my entire career in, in uh, spanning, what, seven different major league teams. He was the best true leader that right. I ever played with. Um, I wish that that team didn't get so wrapped up in everything that they felt was necessary to help them play a game, but because there was real competitors um, and I wasn't one to want to jump in a car and leave after a game and neither were they. I want to talk about what just happened and um, you know, what can we do collectively to be better tomorrow? That was um, the team to do it with. I mean, they did. They, they would hang out in the trainer's room for hours. and I felt like I want the crowd to disperse anyway. I can't jump in my car trying to, you know, I'll be in traffic. So what an excuse. I'm going to sit around and talk <laughs> baseball yeah. um, with Dalton and Dykstra. And at one point Dykstra looked at me in the trainer's room and he said, Gally, you want to be back here next year? And I looked at him like smiling. I said, what, what kind of question is that? Of course. And he said, we can make it happen. Right. Dutch. <laughs> and I look and Dalton's like smiling going, yeah, uh, I think Lee Thomas and Jim Fergosi really leaned on them, but their bodies broke down. You know, yeah. they just broke down. It was like they put it, their bodies through so much that um, they went from being the leaders of that team to like, they couldn't physically even get through. It was hard to watch. It was sad to watch, Yeah, um, but it was a fun team to play on. That team was a shooting star, though. It, it just it was it, it had its moment and, and yeah. just could, couldn't physically handle it. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's uh, true. So we got so we got our idea for our next episode, which would be an hour of Lenny Dykstra stories. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, you can go a long way with them. That's for sure. But I yeah. uh, certainly appreciate the time. Um, you know, so much, you know, good stuff to, to go into. And, you know, uh, always appreciated your uh you know, everything through the years too. So to have you on here is, is an honor for me. Um, let you uh, get on with the rest of your day and uh, what, what we need to do. And I guess we, you know, didn't even get into the the wine and the uh, and the, the big hardcore Chiefs fan because when this airs, it's going to be a couple hours before. You know, I talked to Mike Petrowski this past week right before the Cowboys-Eagles game and right. it turned into be an ugly one for the, uh, the Eagles and Got a feeling that I got to stop scheduling people whose teams play the Eagles the day that we air their uh, their interviews because it, it, you know, one and two Chiefs is they're probably uh, they're not going to be taking the Eagles lightly and that's not a good thing. Well, that's two teams that already are in desperation. You you know they're going to practice hard. Um, I really like the Eagles after last week and like probably like every Eagle fan, I was kind of disappointed for them last night. But that being said. As a Chiefs fan, I'm scratching my head. You guys know what I did never knew until a couple of years ago. A Super Bowl win can can be like long lasting. Yeah. So and it, you know, even though I'm so disappointed that they're one and two, I'm still kind of living off of that Super Bowl win. Right. So 
you know? one of your Chiefs fan life too, right? I can't imagine you being a Chiefs fan that long ago. Yeah, 50 years yeah. I was. 50 years since I was nine years old. Actually, now uh, it was 50 years before they won the Super Bowl right. for me. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it, here's why I got to tell you one quick thing. A couple of years ago, because we had the pandemic last year, I was down here and I watched the Eagles Chiefs game in a, a Jake's um, like seafood restaurant. And, you know, it's got mm-hmm. nice dimly lit bar uh, televisions all over the place. And there's not a Chief fan in there. <laughs> And I'm not a fool. I didn't wear a chief anything right. that chiefs, but I just sat there with a couple of cold ones and listened. And every play, you know, if it, if it was a big for the for the Eagles, they were like, yes. Anything that went against them, it was like, how can you call that? And it was enjoyable for me to sit there. Um, I used to do that with Allentown football when Jay Graber was the coach there. I just really enjoyed watching him run uh, an offense that reminded <laughs> reminded me of NFL. Oh, yeah. And, um, I knew a lot of the kids there because I lived in Millstone. I would go sit across the field in the opposing team stands. I just like to hear the comments that are made. Now people just go berserk on referees and even their own coach about put Tommy in. Like that's entertaining for me to just sit in the middle of that. They probably wonder like, why isn't that guy saying anything? (laughs) I just, I just sit there, but like to take um, it in. Yeah. But listen, one last thing. Uh, if there are coaches or kids or parents out there listening, um, look up the uh, look up Center Court. Go online. Uh, they'll be coming out with tryout dates soon. I think maybe uh, even Lawrence may have already come out with it. And um, at least attend the tryout. Uh, yeah. I'm all about telling the truth and integrity, and I know they are too. And I, I do want this to be uh, a spot where kids can and families can uh, have a healthy relationship. Um, you know, after all, it's going to be mostly about the kid and, and how he develops and his talent level. So you'd want him to be in a, an environment that is conducive to his long term health, um, not just how he is as a baseball player. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I hope I see everybody out there. Absolutely. And through the magic of post-production, we will have the uh, the website will be up throughout this interview. So so people will have the chance to, uh, you know, uh, connect that way as well. And uh, Dave Gallagher, certainly a pleasure. And we look forward to having you back soon. All right. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it.